Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Good morning, church. Hey, we are going to be in Genesis 28 today. Again, we were there last week, but then we're going to kind of jump around in Genesis a little bit so you can follow with me. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, it's the very first book there. And if you don't have one, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me. But if you do have a Bible in your hands, I want you to also bookmark Ephesians 4 today. Ephesians 4. This is one of our theme passages for our vision 2028 of building up the next generation. And so if you would bookmark that, that would be helpful. We're going we're gonna to touch on that today as well. Let me, let me pray over us as we begin. God, I thank you for your body here in this place, the body of Jesus Christ that surrounds us here this morning. God, I'm thankful for your body that stretches around the world of which we are a part. I'm thankful for our missionaries in Papua New Guinea, Philippines, Ukraine, um, East Asia, God. I'm thankful for their great work and service there in each of those places. <clears throat> God, I'm especially mindful of our Ukrainian missionaries, one who's stateside now with his family. I pray your great blessings over him. I pray also for our missionary who remains there in Ukraine, who's dealing with illness. I pray that, God, you would build up his body, restore his health. I pray for that, Lord. God, I want to pray over VBS this week. I think about um, Harold Shank, longtime preacher here at this church, who was converted because of VBS. Maybe some child will come this week who doesn't yet know you, who will come to know you because of the work of these people this week. So I want to pray for our VBS, Lord. God, as we turn to your word here, would you guide us by, your, by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us through your word? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I got an email on, um, I think it was Sunday afternoon or Monday, maybe when I saw it, about my sermon from, from last week. And so let me, let me recap the sermon from last week because the, the email was right on. And it's going to launch us into what we're actually talking about today. So last week, we told this story of Jacob in Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, Jacob is a guy who does not have a faith of his own. His father Isaac, his grandfather Abraham were these men of really great faith, but we don't know anything about Jacob's faith at this point. If he's got faith, it's not much of a faith. And so in Genesis 28, though, he finds himself at this holy place for his family, a place where his grandfather years ago had gone to pray to the Lord, and he goes there to sleep. He falls asleep in this place. But while he's sleeping in this holy place, God appears to Jacob. He wakes up, or not wakes up, he's in a dream, and he sees angels coming down from heaven and angels going back up to heaven on this ladder, and he sees the Lord at the top of the ladder, and the Lord speaks to him, and he wakes up, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and it says he was filled with awe. A-W-E, awe, being amazed by God's glory and power. And he says, how awesome is this place? What we talked about last week is the importance of 
awe in our spiritual lives. If I become overwhelmed, if I get just undone by the glory and majesty of God, there's such a great likelihood that I'll surrender myself to God. And so our desires, we're building up the next generation is that every young person would come here into this place and they would leave saying to their mom and dad, the Lord is in that place, mom. The Lord is in that place. If they have that experience, we're convinced there's a lot better chance they're going to surrender and give their lives to Jesus. And that's what happens with Jacob. He has this experience where he's filled with awe for the Lord. And then we read this, then Jacob made a vow. This is a guy who had no faith before this, but we read this, Genesis 28, 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking, it will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. And he commits himself to the Lord, totally changes his life. But then I get this email Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, and he's like, Eric, I don't know if you're reading the same thing I'm reading. Because I read that, and I see that his relationship with God is still transactional. God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And there's a lot of ifs. If you do this for me, if you do that for me, if you do this for me, well, then then you'll be my God. He's like, it's not exactly a mature faith he's got in Genesis 28. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is not a mature faith yet. I mean, he's at the very beginning. He's in the infancy of his faith. And so his faith does look really transactional, conditional. And that dad, and it's a great email that he sent to me. He said, surely... God wants more from us than what Jacob's given him right here. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So what Jacob has is all. What is he lacking? Well, he hasn't been built up yet. So we've been talking about our vision for 2028 to build up the next generation. You've seen this. You've heard me talking about this the last few weeks. And what we have focused on is the last part of that, the next generation. We're anchoring that focus in Psalm 78, where there's this language of telling the next generation the wonderful deeds of the Lord. But what I have not talked about is what it means to build somebody up. What in the world does that mean? And what does the church have to do with that? Like, what's our job as it relates to building somebody up? And so as I think about Jacob in Genesis 28, I think about the difference between his grandfather Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. Let me walk you through that. His grandfather is just this random guy minding his own business. And God calls to him one day and he says, if you'll go, these are all the things I'll do for you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll bless the whole world through you. Just go. All right. So Abraham goes, and that is an incredible thing that he goes just because God tells him to, but it's not exactly just because God tells him to. It's also because God promised to make him rich. God promised to give him a bunch of kids. God promised to make him a big deal. And so the relationship in Genesis 20, 12, Genesis 12, sorry, is not pure, unadulterated, just love for God. No, he's doing it because of what he's going to get out of it. Are you with me? 
And then you come to Genesis 22, years later, decades later. In Genesis 22, Abraham is minding his own business again, and God calls to him. And this time he tells him to take his son, his only son Isaac, and to sacrifice him. Now for Abraham, this is everything he has waited for from the Lord and this child. This is everything. To sacrifice his own boy would be to ruin everything that God has given him. And God calls to him and tells him to go and sacrifice his boy. And you know the only thing he says in the whole passage, the only thing he says, here I am. That's it. And the point is that all the transactional, conditional dimensions of his relationship with God have evaporated. There's none of that left now. Now, when God tells him to do something, he's just going to do it. He's got this clarity now about the goodness of God to him. He's got this commitment now to his identity in this God, and he trusts him completely. Here I am. Jacob is not there yet. He's not there yet. He's got all, he's excited about God. He's interested in kind of experimenting with this God, but he is not where his grandfather eventually got. He's not to that point yet. He has not been built up. J.T. English is a, a pastor and author. He wrote this book called Deep Discipleship. It's really good. And in the story, in the book, he tells the story of his coming to faith. He didn't grow up in church. He was never exposed to stories of faith growing up. And so <clears throat> he's in college He's a freshman in college. Let me get the story right. Freshman in college. And his roommate keeps inviting him to a Bible study they have every Tuesday night in the basement of the freshman dorm. The basement is also the laundry room. And so he's like, there's no place I want to be less than in the laundry room at the basement of our freshman dorm. But his roommate keeps wearing him out to go, and so he finally goes. And he has a Bible. Somebody at a high school event gave him one of those teenage devotional study Bibles, and he says, I've never opened it once, but I pull that Bible off my shelf, and I walk down there, and the Bible study leader says, let's turn to Jonah. And he panics because he has no idea who Jonah is or where he's at. So he says, I'm afraid if I go to the table of contents, everybody's going to know I'm a phony if I do that. And so I start just flipping, hoping I see it, and I am not seeing Jonah. And he says, fortunately, the Bible study leader next to him reaches over his finger and stops it at Jonah and opens the page. And then he listens for the first time in his life to the story of the prophet Jonah, which if you've never heard that story, is a story about God calling this man named Jonah to go to this town called Nineveh and tell them he's going to destroy them. They're so bad. And finally he goes, there's a fish involved, we won't get into those details, but finally he goes to Nineveh and instead of destroying Nineveh, God decides to forgive them. And J.T. English says it was the first time he had ever heard that in his life. People who had done everything wrong and deserved to be destroyed, God was going to forgive them? And he says, that's what God's like? He said, I was stunned by God's grace. Stunned by it. Okay, what's he feeling? He's feeling awe. And then he says, and I had no idea what to do with that. 
So the next day his roommate comes and he's got this script that the Bible study leader had given him. And he said, hey, I'm supposed to read this to you. And he says he never even looks up at him. He just reads the whole script. Hey, you're really bad. You're a sinner. You need God. You know, he just reads the whole thing. And he said, at that moment, I decided I was going to give myself to the Lord in baptism because I didn't know what else to do. It was like the worst presentation of the gospel ever. And he signed up for it. Okay, what did he have? He was filled with awe. Right? That's what was making that possible. He was filled with awe. He was ready to give himself to the Lord. He just needed to be built up. He needed to know what that looked like. I'll think about this example. My, my, son's, uh, my son, middle son, Foster, just finished his baseball season. I told you all about that last week. Uh, lost in the championship. I'm still uh, struggling with that, so I'm going to keep rehashing it with all of you until I work it all out. And... Uh, Right before baseball season, you know what we watched? Tell me if you remember this movie, Rookie of the Year. You remember Rookie of the Year? You know, Ron Garner. Uh, Rookie of the Year is this story, a movie I think came out in the 80s or 90s about this 12-year-old boy who has a shoulder injury, and then his shoulder heals, but it's really tight. And so all of a sudden, he goes from throwing 40 miles an hour to 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. And so he gets recruited to play in the major leagues, okay? And so why did my son want to play baseball? because of rookie of the year. You know, he saw what was possible. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I could do that. Well, let me just tell you, like a six-year-old is not ready for the majors. You know, so what did it take? So he has awe, but what does it take? Coaching. It takes building them up and getting them ready for this. It's something like the difference between going to a museum of art you see some great piece hanging on the wall and it just captures your imagination. You think it's so powerful and good but how different that is from the experience of walking through that same museum with those headphones they give you, where the tour guide's talking to you about what that piece of art means, what the artist wants to inspire in you, what they want you to do because of this piece of art. It's something like that in this world. You know, that God's designed a world that inspires us and brings us to just awe over His glory and power. But it helps to have somebody telling us what that means, or what I'm supposed to do with that. All right, come with me to Ephesians 4. I told you we were going to go there. That's in the New Testament, Ephesians is. This is a letter from Paul. And this is what Paul says about the church. One of the most important things that's ever been written about the church and its purpose. I want you to pay attention here. This is Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself, pay attention here. This is what Christ wants to happen in the church. So he set this up. So Christ himself, this isn't something men did. This isn't something a bunch of people got into a room and and started talking and thought this is what we should do when we all get together. No, this is what Christ himself set up. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, the leaders of the church, to equip his people for works of service. That's everyone in the church serving within the church. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the word until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Pay attention to that word. There's a parallel here. What does building up mean? Mean It means growing in your maturity in Christ. So why do you think we're using that word when we talk about what we're going to do for the next generation? Build up the next generation. We're going to grow them into mature disciples of Christ. Well, he's going to explain what that means. Keep paying attention here knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That means they become like Christ. Keep reading. Then we'll no longer be infants 
who aren't mature. This is what those people look like. They're tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. It means they're washed all over the place by everything the world says. They're not anchored. Instead, speaking the truth in love, the hallmark of somebody who's mature in Christ, they can speak the truth in love, we will grow, there's that language, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that's Christ. For him, the whole body is joined, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay. Do you know what that word build up means? It's a construction word. Okay, it's the same word that's used when Jesus tells the story of the wise and foolish builders who build their houses on sand and rock. Well, they're building up. That's what they're doing. It just depends on what foundation they're building, whether it's going to work out for them. I just came from the home builder Sunday school class, and a group of our home builder dads just took their teenage kids to Honduras to build a house for a family down there in Honduras. One of the things I love about that is those teenagers got a tactile, tangible experience of what building up is, right? They did it. That's what the, the word means, building up. Jesus says, you're Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build up my church. Or Peter says that you, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, that there's the ministry of laying a foundation, which was his, that foundation's Jesus Christ. And then there's the ministry of building up on top of that. And he says, you got to be really careful what you build with, because if you build with the wrong thing, when fire comes, it's going to all fall down. Where's that fire coming from? The world. Okay. So what Paul's talking about there is the three little pigs, right? That's what he's talking about. So you have, you have somebody who pigs who build with the wrong materials. And what happens when the world comes along and starts huffing and puffing, it falls down. And here in Ephesians 4, what Paul says is our job as a church, the reason that Christ himself set up the church is so that we might build each other up, make each other resilient in Christ so that we are not tossed back and forth by what happens in the world, but we're anchored and secure and we stay standing when the storms come. So he says what building up means. I was um, meeting with this young man that I'm discipling uh, not long ago, and he's, he's in his 20s, and he's not married yet, so he's on dating apps. He wants to find a wife. And um, I'll be honest with you, about half the people that I've married in the last five years met online, okay? So I'm not anti-dating app, but I have concerns, okay? And so I'm, I'm discipling this young man, and he says, Eric, I get this message the other day from this young woman on this app. And she says, what are you looking for? And I said, well, I'll be really honest with you. I'm looking for a healthy relationship. I deeply desire to be married. And she responds and says, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to hook up, is what she said. Now, here's this young man I'm discipling who has that invitation from a young woman. And so here's the point where I've got to ask the question that I don't want to ask as the guy discipling, which is, what did you do? He says, oh, Eric, I blocked her. I was rejoicing with the angels in heaven. Yes, yes. Like, I mean, you think about this, a young single guy who turns that down. What's happening there in his life? He's being built up. 
He's not believing what the world is telling him. Or one of our shepherds and I met with a young woman here at Highland this week who's trying to make a big decision about her future. And what she said is, before I open up my heart to this possibility, I want to know what God says about it, which I love that. Because what do most of us do? Open up our hearts, follow it full steam, and then like look back and say, I wonder what God was saying about that. She wants to know on the front end what the Lord's saying about that. I love that. Tell you another story. Many of you know that Dan Massey, one of our longtime shepherds here, tremendous man of faith, has blessed so many people here at Highland, that his earthly body is deteriorating. And he may not have much longer in this world here. I got to spend just a few minutes with him this weekend, and he's not always able to communicate now, but he was, he was able to communicate while I was there, which was such a grace to me. And I was sitting there beside him holding his hand, and I asked him, I said, Dan, can I read something over you? And he said, well, that depends what it is, which I loved. I said, Dan, it's from the Bible. And he said, okay, that'll do. I love that. You know, what, what you see in Dan's life and in the lives of that young man and that young woman is this movement. Over the course of your life, what matters less to you is what everybody else says, and what matters most to you is what God says. And you're being built up in that direction. As you head in that direction, you become stable, right? Secure, anchored. There's this tree in Rockport, Texas. You know, it's from Texas. I'm going to talk about it. And um, Rockport's on the coast. It's a live oak. And the live oaks aren't like the oak trees here in Memphis. They're shorter and they're gnarled. They're real wide, real beautiful trees. And This live oak in Rockport, Texas, which is near the coast, is 1,100 years old, they think. 1,100 years old. And so they have an arborist that comes and takes care of this tree and prunes it and tries to keep it strong and healthy whenever it gets sick and stuff. Well, this hurricane blew through in 2017, and Rockport was so proud because their tree withstood the hurricane. They were so proud of that. But I love what the arborist said, and this is why I saved this story. The arborist said, that's not the first hurricane this tree has survived. I think that's what it means to be built up in Christ, to grow mature, deep, rooted in Christ, is that as those hurricanes come, you're still surviving. You don't lose that faith that matters so much to you. So come with me back to this story of Jacob. Let me show you what happens in Jacob's life. Genesis 28 Jacob has this really conditional transactional relationship with God. And I don't think that's what God wants from us ultimately. God can work with that. God's okay with that being a starting point. But then you come to Genesis 31 and um, Jacob's been walking with this God for a little while and he gets crosswise with his father-in-law who's now out to get him. That's a story for another time, sermon for another time. In Genesis 31 though, he says this to his wife. He says, he said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before. That is, your dad doesn't like me, but the God of my father's been with me. See how his tone is changing? Before it was, what can you do for me, God? And now it's, I see what you have done for me, God. In Genesis 32, we have this story where Jacob wrestles with God or with the messenger of God all night long. And he uh, comes out of that story with a new name, Israel which means wrestles with God, which I love that. You know, he's learning that part of this relationship with God is this back and forth. Sometimes it's a struggle, and I'm going to stay locked onto him, though. I love that. Genesis 35, 
Jacob's going back to Bethel, that place where he saw God coming down from heaven, this holy place for his family. And he's going back there. And you know what he does before? It's just this one line in Genesis 35. It's easy to skip over it. But he has his whole family get rid of all their foreign gods, all their idols. And we're thinking to ourselves, where did those come from? Why do you have idols in your house? And maybe somebody should ask us the same thing. All the things we worship that aren't God. Part of growing in God is getting rid of all those other things. I'm tempted to worship, but him. And then we come to Genesis 46. Jacob is this old man. He's an old man. And God tells him to get up and leave everything he knows and go to Egypt. And you know the only thing he says? Genesis 46 two, here I am. Remember who else said that? His grandpa, Abraham. What happens over the course of his life is that he is built up in God. And all the transactional dimensions of this relationship have evaporated and all that's left is him and God. And that's enough for him. He'll be obedient to him. <clears throat> Come with me here to this last slide. Let's throw this up. The New Testament says there's four ways that we're built up. I want to leave you with this. I want to pray over you. But this is what I want to challenge you with. If you're a note taker, if you have a pen, Get something out and write these four things down. We're going to go deeper on these over the course of the next year. But the reason I want to show you these to you is a story I heard recently about a guy who eventually became a minister. He was new to faith. He was a spiritual sponge. He was soaking it all up. And he, he went to premarital counseling with his soon-to-be bride. And the, the minister said, what do you want to do, young man, when you grow up? He said, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want to grow in Christ. I want to grow closer to Christ. And he said to him, okay, then you need to go to seminary. That's what you need to do. He's so thankful he went to seminary, but he said, what a travesty if the only place that you can be built up in Christ is outside of the church. But this is actually the job that Christ himself gave who? Us. To build up people in Christ. So the New Testament says that there's at least four ways that we're built up. I want you to write these down. I want you to go and dig deeper on these passages this week. This is the first, love. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs us up, but love builds us up. That's 1 Corinthians 8.1. Or look at this, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 along the same lines. Therefore, encourage one another or love one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. So if you're not part of the community being loved on and loving someone else in this community, it's going to be difficult to be built up. It's going to be hard. One of our visions and goals for 2028 is that every young person would be coupled with a disciple maker or a builder who's loving them into Christ Jesus. That's one of the goals for vision. Number two, work. Look at this in Ephesians 4.16. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We've been pushing this year, my part, God's plan. And our, our belief is that you have a role to play in the building up of the next generation. In fact, what are you doing today at two o'clock? What are you doing today? Maybe you already heard about this earlier. At two o'clock, your eyes are getting a little bit heavy. Two o'clock, why don't you come up here instead of taking your nap this Sunday afternoon and help us set up for VBS at two o'clock? Like what, what an easy way to help to build up the next generation, turn this church into an ancient biblical wonderland with us at two o'clock. You can do that as each part does its work. It's one of the ways that we are built up. Look at this, the word, Acts 20, 32, write this one down. I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up 
and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I remember every um, youth group lesson I heard growing up ended like, like this, read your Bible every day. And I was like, isn't there more to it than that? And I'm beginning to think there's not a lot more to it than that. Are you in the word? It will be hard to be built up here if you're not in the word. The word builds us up. And then lastly, I'll leave you with this one. Worship builds us up. What we've done here this morning builds us up. 1 Corinthians 14 is the most significant passage on New Testament worship. You know what word is used more in 1 Corinthians 14 than any other? Seven times. Build up. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, everything in the context of worship must be done so that the church may be built up. Worship's one of the ways God builds us up. Let me say a prayer over you as we finish this morning. And I'm going to pray that these four things are true, not only here at this church, but in your life. Let me pray over you and pray that these will be the case. God, our loving Father, I'm thankful above all for your grace in Jesus Christ. We saw a glimpse of that in Jonah's story with Nineveh. Like that young pastor said, God's like that? God, we praise you that you are like that and you desire to forgive us. But forgiveness is not the end, God. We believe that Christ himself equipped us to build one another up, that we might become resilient and strong in faith, that we might withstand what this world throws at us for your sake and for your glory, that we might endure, God, for your sake. And I pray that you would build us up here. I pray that evermore this church would be committed to loving one another, to working alongside one another and for your purposes, to diving deeply into your word and to joining together in worship, God. May you build us up by your power and glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.